Awesome. Well, guys, Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, which means Lent is upon us, which means Easter is upon us, which means I get to show you guys our new devotional that uh, we ordered and they are in um, and these are available for you and you can pick them up as you leave. Um, there are um, These are focused on Lent, preparing our hearts for the season of Easter when we, when we look towards the resurrection and we look at the empty tomb and we look at the wonder that unfolds in that space. And so this devotional is put together by Christianity Today, has a lot of great contributors, including Jen Wilkin and including Jay Kim, who was... <laughs> Inside joke, um, who was uh, my seventh grade winter camp communicator. Like the guy who's talking my seventh grade camp, like he wrote one of the weeks in here. Y'all reach out to Jay Kim, mention Danny Connor, and he'll say who. Um, <laughs> so this is available for you. Um, they're for free. Um, just take them. Our blue shirts will be handing them out as you're leaving. Uh, and there are a few different ways in which you can engage with it. Um, where the Advent one was a day-by-day one, this has a few different options on how you'd engage. It can be either an eight-week study starting in Ash Wednesday, which was, you know, last Wednesday. And uh, it would be a week-by-week study that takes us all the way to Easter. There's another, ver- and that's listed in here. There's another version that starts on the week of Holy Week, so right before Easter and takes us for seven weeks after that. Um, there is also a Holy Week version where you do all eight from Palm Sunday through, uh, through Easter Sunday. Um, so whichever one of those uh, you would like to engage in, I'm probably going to be doing the Lent one um, just to prepare my heart for Easter uh, and looking forward towards that. There's also Bible studies located in the back that you can engage in as well. So just know that these are available for you. Um, and if you want to take Take an extra copy or two for maybe uh, a coworker or a friend or a roommate who's not here. Feel free, and we'll just order more um, if we run out tonight. And you can get another one um, next week. So, so these are available for you. And there's our traditional Abby call um, for for me uh, now. I, man, it, it's gonna be sad, right, when she stops doing that and she's like, uh, "Dad," you know. Uh, so for now, we get the dad call, which is super sweet for my heart. Um, so with that. This morning or this evening, uh, I was saying this um, this evening, this morning, and now I'm saying this morning, this evening. So all good. Um, we're in Philippians chapter two. If you want to open up your Bibles, verse nineteen. And while you are. Um, flipping there, I wanted to share one more thing with all of you that's kind of a personal thing. I've shared the opposite version before, um, so I wanted to fill you guys in. Um, when I told you guys when I was laid off, like uh, whenever that was, two, 25 years ago at Disney when COVID started, uh, and uh, I just got back on seasonal at Walt Disney World um, with cast activities. Um, so I am super excited. Shout out to Jennifer Latta. She made that happen. And uh, I'm just super excited to be a part of that team making magic. It's basically, I get to make uncommon love happen for cast members and as part of like my role with Disney and I like get to go to the parks with it and stuff. It's cool. I'm super excited for that opportunity. And I just wanted to fill you in on that so that whenever I make Disney references as a cast member, I've been trying to be very intentional that like talking as if I'm not one, but if I was, like when I say we cast members, you know, like now I'm actually one of y'all again. So that's fun. Uh, so in light of that, one of the things I was thinking about this week was when I started my journey at Disney, first as um, a college program intern, eventually as a professional intern, I did my professional internship in guest relations at Magic Kingdom. And uh, when I was there, and I mean, you guys know where Magic Kingdom guest relations lives, right? In City Hall on Main Street. Um, that would, you would be wrong to know that that's where I lived during my 
PI. I lived at Grape, which is guest relations at Park Entry. I was the person that had to come and get summoned to reset biometrics when your finger didn't work right at the turnstile. That was my job to be the one that you yelled at, um, or not you, but those who yelled, I was the one that they yelled at. And I got the opportunity to do that 10 hours a day, six days a week for an entire professional internship. And I remember going through that, going, God, why? Like, I I remember literally driving to West Clock one day and I was praying and I was like, God, I'm pretty sure, I was definitely being dramatic in saying this. I was like, God, I'm pretty sure I would die a martyr's death for you, but please don't make me be bored for you. I was just like, I am just so done being bored up there. My back's hurting. I'm exhausted. I don't want to get yelled at. And I'm sick of resetting fingerprints over and over and over again. Now, This points out something that if you know me, you know this already about me. The mundane moments of life, they're just not fun for me. I like adventure. I like excitement. I quickly move from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Like I I just continue to bounce around throughout my days. The the passage in uh, the Old Testament where it says, be still and know that I am God. I find that both the most compelling passage in the Old Testament as well as one of the most terrifying for me because I'm like, be still? Like, it's just hard for me. I like to move and I don't like being bored. Now, I imagine that some of you don't mind being bored. You're like, no, I'll just chill on my couch for three hours, no problem. And for, for those of you that that is you, Love you. Um, I am not like that at all. That is totally not how I'm wired. Um, I get really antsy when I don't have anything to do. Um, and I think in our culture, we have a very frenetic or antsy culture as well. We want to continue in our culture, move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, right? Um, this is why I think that when you do go to the parks and you're, say you're at, say you're at one of the parks and um, let me just throw one out. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, okay? Say you're in line for that. That is a really cool queue line. Don't you think for those of you who've been on that ride at studios? It's a cool queue line. There's the posters that move and stuff. Imagineering clearly put a lot of detail and attention into the queue line, right? But what is every guest doing while they're in that queue line? Looking down at their phones, Why? Don't they know that the imaginative storytelling that goes into this queue line? Yeah, but they just don't care because there's something more exciting and it's called doom scrolling on the interwebs, right? Like we, 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 we want to be entertained and we want to feel productive or, and, or a little bit of both. So we live in a culture where we have to constantly be going to the next, to the next, to the next. Now that just points out this concept that action and adventure for many of us is compelling, but mundane moments, not so much, right? So tonight we're going to be journeying into a passage that on the surface is going to seem mundane. On the surface it's going to seem mundane and a little bit boring. And I'm sure that none of you have ever thought that about a passage of the Bible before, right? Like you, I'm sure when you're in your daily reading plan and you get to like numbers and it's doing the genealogies, you're not like three pages, flip, Bible reading plan done for the day, you know? Um, this is a safe place. You can say, yeah, sometimes the Bible doesn't get my attention. That's okay to share. Um, we're safe here. Now, this is that kind of a passage that on the surface, you might be tempted to just flip right past or read right beyond. But 
what I want us to engage in this evening is to see if God has something to teach us in a passage that at first glance might not grab our attention. So a quick recap of where we have been so far in the book of Philippians is Paul has spent a great deal of time describing the mindset of Jesus and explaining what it looks like to think, to desire, to live more like Jesus. Now, last week we left off looking at how following after Jesus, we are called to be this beacon of hope to the world of darkness, where our thoughts, our desires, and even our words reflect not our circumstances, which is why Paul says, don't grumble, don't live in discontentment, but instead, he want, um, Paul is calling us to live as citizens of the kingdom of light, not dictated by our circumstances, but our true hope that is found in Jesus. So that's where we're at last week. Now, we, we finished off last week where Paul finishes off the section, giving himself as a living example of the mindset of Jesus, played out by saying, I, I am like an, a, a drink offering that's being poured out for your benefit. And he's being metaphorical, but he's speaking quite literal in the sense that something could be poured out, which is his blood, because he is in prison waiting to find out if he's going to be executed or sent out scot-free. He doesn't know which way this is going to go. And, but he is still 100% ready and prepared to joyfully surrender his life for the cause of the gospel. So he gives himself as a living example of the way of Jesus, of the mindset of Christ. Now, he is gonna, where we're going to be covering the next two weeks is two other individuals that he's going to offer up as living examples, living embodiments of the mindset of Jesus. So before we get there, though, we have to ask the question, well, why is it so important to learn from the examples of others? Why is Paul even bringing other people into the equation? Why not just look to Jesus? Why do other people matter? Because you see, on the journey of discipleship, it is not less than solid information about God. We definitely need to learn the scriptures and be students of the word to discover more about God and his character for sure. But it's definitely more than just that. My friend Gabe said it this way when we were in a conversation. He, says, he said, discipleship is not just information. It is application and transformation through imitation. For those of you who are note takers, I'll read it again for you. This is a good one to write down. I didn't say it, so I can be really excited about this one. All right. He said, discipleship is not just information. It's application. So it is applying what you are learning into your everyday life. And it's also transformation. It is discovering more and more of your identity in Christ and being transformed into his image. But that happens through imitation. As we learn both from watching and discovering more of Jesus in the gospels and watching the life of Jesus played out in the lives of one another. This is why Paul wrote that familiar passage, follow me as I follow Christ, right? This idea, learn from what I am learning. Do what I am learning to do. Follow me as I am learning to follow Jesus well. Now that, it's pretty epic, right? But he's going to do this and he's going to continue on this trajectory in kind of an odd way. He's going to give us a travel itinerary. So let's go ahead and read in Philippians chapter 2 and see what Paul has in store for us in this passage. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me 
in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is a travel itinerary. This isn't a passage, if you were paying attention when I was reading that, this is not a passage that you would naturally see on Instagram, right? Like you don't see this one. You're like, oh man, that just gets me right in the feels. Not, I, I've never seen an individual with this passage, particular passage tattooed on their forearm, right? Like this isn't that kind of a passage. It's a travel itinerary. Now, travel itineraries for sure can be kind of exciting, right? I don't know if any of you have ever gotten, like looked at your travel itinerary on the Disney Cruise Line app, right? Like you pull up that app and you see all the things that are coming up on your cruise. I know some of you got cruises coming up. You know what that's like. And you see all the, the, the um, excursions that you're gonna be doing, all the port adventures. You see the different places you're gonna be eating and which restaurant and which night and the different shows that are coming up. That's exciting stuff, right? Like that is information. That's a travel itinerary, but it's exciting. So I'm not dissing on travel itineraries, but typically Paul covers travel itineraries at the end of his letters. He holds off the logistics to the end when he's like, greet this person, this person, and this one, they're awesome. And by the way, here's kind of my plans from here on out. So he typically puts that at the end. So why halfway through this letter, does he pause right after covering the mind of Jesus, the mindset and attitude of Jesus? Does he take what seems like a pretty significant detour to cover the travel plans for Timothy and himself? Isn't that kind of weird, kind of odd? But here's one thing we need to start with understanding that while, we, while many of us, me included, are typically drawn to the dramatic, the reality is God oftentimes speaks and works in the mundane. He works in the boring. He doesn't only work in the epic mountaintop experiences. When Jay Kim is teaching at your seventh grade camp, you know. <laughs> but also in the quiet cup of coffee and open Bible in the morning. The conversation at Bible study with some other men and women. In the break room when a coworker is sharing about what's been really hard on their life right now. Those aren't the moments that, that you, you see on, uh, that you see these incredible blog posts about, right? Or that the best bestsellers generate from. But it's in those moments that we discover the presence of Jesus in wonderful ways. See, he can work there. He can even work through a travel itinerary detour. And he works here in this passage to talk about an incredible living example to follow through something kind of mundane. He gives and offers up Timothy, who is an example of a compassionate presence. He embodies this aspect of the mindset of Jesus. Some of you are probably familiar with Timothy. Maybe some of you are not. But Timothy was Paul's disciple for years. They journeyed together. They learned much together. He was, he, he was his apprentice and they just went everywhere together. Timothy first came to faith through the example of his mother and his grandmother and was taken on by Paul to travel the ancient world as his apprentice, to learn and to follow after the way of Jesus and to help in the venture of planting new churches for generations to come. If you read the book of Acts, you'll even discover the, that he, Timothy is a consistent present in the book of Acts, a faithful follower of Jesus. So he was, Timothy had continued to show himself as this kind of a faithful example. 
So it's no surprise that Paul, when he is looking at who is near him in Rome while he sits in house arrest, that he looks at who is near him and he's like, I know who I need to send to this church that I love so much. I'm sending Timothy. It makes sense. Because in Timothy, he sees this mindset lived out and he's like, I want them to see this mindset in person. Now, does this just point to the fact that Timothy is so awesome and unique and super spiritual? No. Does this mean that Timothy is awesome, and, but you can be awesome too if you just work harder at your spiritual life and then you can be as awesome as Timothy? Also, no, that's not what this is about. Not at all. Instead, what we are gonna witness is Paul is going to give two ways in which Paul has become more like Jesus by being with Jesus. And his desire is that this church would be transformed more into the image of Jesus by being around others who are seeking to live out that same reality. Which brings me to the main point. And if you got nothing else out of our time together, it would be simply this, to watch and learn from those who demonstrate the mindset and attitude of Jesus. Watch and learn. Do life with people who are going to rub off on you towards Jesus, who are going to point you to him. Learn from not just their words though, but also their actions, the way they live. And so first, he's going to point this out in Timothy with his compassion. Go back to verse 20 and 21. For I have no one like him who will, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is getting at about Timothy right here is Timothy is peculiar. We talked about being a peculiar people last week. Timothy is peculiar. He has this genuine care for the welfare of others. He has this true heart of a shepherd. This is so much more than just a job for Timothy. This is a passionate calling. This isn't Paul going, hey, Timothy, I know that this is like not what you were looking forward to. I know you had a vacation coming up, but I need you to head out onto the, like to get to work over with the church in Philippi. If you can just go do that. And then Timothy's like, oh, I mean, I guess I'll do it if I have to. Like that's totally not Timothy's mindset. He has a genuine care for the welfare of others. He wants to care for the hurting. He wants to be with people in the, in the midst of where they're at. And Paul mentions something else about this, right? He says that they, he gives the word they, they are only interested in their own interests. Now this they is just a generic phrase that is meant for most people. Most people, they will go and do something like be inconvenienced by this major travel trip to Philippi, but they're gonna do it if there's something in it for them. What's in it for them? What's in it for their interests? Are they going to at least, um, is this going to look good on their resume? Are they going to get gift cards out of it at the very least? Like, what are they going to get out of this, this interaction? But Timothy, his care, the interest he ma- that matters to him is the interest of Christ. Now that's interesting because t- in displays that Timothy is peculiar. He has, he has been discipled into the mindset of Jesus. And from a large kind of like a, a macro perspective, Timothy is looking out for the interests of Jesus. He wants to see the kingdom expand. So he's gonna go wherever that means, whatever that calls him into. But then if you zoom in from a micro perspective, the way that he is going to live that out isn't just when he can get a room full of people. It's when he can just be with people when he can genuinely care for the welfare of others, when he can just sit and be. 
Don't you love these kind of people in your life? Do you, do you have any people like this in your life that you can think of right now? Individuals who've been following after Jesus and, and you just see in them that this just compassion that they have, this deep care that they have. I was thinking this week about my friends, Kevin and Lindsay Dennis. Uh, many of you probably know them. They are such incredible examples of compassion and care. Kevin, uh, he serves as one of the elders for Mosaic Church. And I've had the privilege of having him as a brother and a friend for like the last seven years or so. And, and, and if you've ever had the chance to, to hang out with Kevin, one thing that becomes abundantly clear is you are the most important person in the world to him right then. I love that. I love that. Like that's always how I leave my time with Kevin. And Lindsay, Lindsay is incredible. If you want to, if, if you have a gospel kingdom cause that you care about, go talk with Lindsay Dennis about it and you'll care even more about it because she's going to get you so pumped up to follow after Jesus and not just pumped to change the world, but pumped to know Jesus more intimately. I like those kind of people. And those are just some of the people, and I have a list of people that are like that in my life. A lot of them are sitting in this room right now. Who are those people in your life? See, for Timothy or Kevin or Lindsay, it feels very personal, genuinely concerned for your welfare. But it's not just because they are so uniquely awesome. It's because their mindset is focused on Jesus. They seek the interests of Jesus Christ. And see, they want you to feel valid and valuable and important because that is what Jesus thinks about you. And see, because compassion didn't start with Kevin or Lindsay or with Timothy, um, we see Jesus' entire ministry just filled with examples of genuine compassion and care, right? I was thinking about this week about Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 says, when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, per the usual, and behold, a leper came to him. Now, you guys might know about lepers in the Bible. That was like a no-go for so many people. You were instructed that if there was a leper, and leper was, leprosy was kind of a generic, um, a generic catch-all phrase for a number of different skin, um, skin conditions and diseases. And these individuals who were labeled as lepers were kicked out of society and moved to these leper colonies where they would be able to be with others who also were afflicted by these, um, by these afflictions, Without the, without the opportunity of being contagious to the, the community as a whole. And that's where they'd spend the rest of their days. So get the picture. A massive group of people is following Jesus. And here comes a leper. If you're in the crowd, what are you thinking? What is this guy thinking? Like, why is he here? But let's see what Jesus and this guy were thinking. A leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Did Jesus have to touch this guy to heal him? No, it's Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus can walk around going healed, 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 healed. Like you're all healed, right? Like it's Jesus, he's God. So why would he offer a hand and a touch? In all likelihood, it has been years since this individual with leprosy 
has had a non-leopard touch him. And here comes the hand of Jesus, the only truly clean person that has ever walked the face of the earth. And he offers his hand and he says, I will be cleaned. Do you see the compassion in this moment? Do you feel the compassion in that moment? Do you get this sense that Jesus wasn't just concerned about speaking the Sermon on the Mount in front of a multitude of people or the 3,000 or the 5,000 person gatherings? That he cared probably as much, if not more, for the one-on-one interactions like that moment. But in our economy, that's weird, right? Because that's not the best bang for your buck. But in Jesus' economy, what does he say? Don't tell anyone, right? So different. Not make sure you tweet it, make sure you post it, and make sure you at me on that one so that everyone knows Jesus got it, you know? Like that's not him at all. I love that about Jesus. I think that's so compelling about him. And where others would say, hey, you are removed. Jesus also moves this individual, but he moves him back into society. He says, go to the priest and and show that you are now cleansed. I think that's incredible. Out of his compassion. See, out of Jesus' compassion, he heals what is broken. He revives what is dead. He gives hope where there is none. He says, with eye contact, I see you when you feel unseen. I love that about Jesus. See, this was Jesus' compassionate mindset. And this is the mindset that Timothy was trying to live in as he abides with Jesus. So pit stop, are you seeing, yes, this is a travel itinerary, but it's a lot more than one, right? So let's keep going. As go into 22 and 23. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Do you see that? See, not only is Timothy an example of compassionate care, he's an example of a consistent presence. I mean, when you have somebody that is so compassionate and you sit across the table with them and you're chatting with them on a one-on-one opportunity, and that's pretty cool, right? Somebody who genuinely cares. What's the only thing better than that? Somebody that will continue from that moment and walk with you in life. That's Timothy. He's that kind of a person. He is that kind of a follower of Jesus. And see, Timothy has proven worth. And the church in Philippi apparently are aware of his proven worth. And he has consistently journeyed with Jesus. And I love that Paul, or that Paul is using with Timothy this, this um, familial language with his relationship with Timothy. He says, as a son with a father. Isn't that great? Like we have... I, It's not like this is an individual who I haven't seen in a while or I kind of know about him or I've heard good things. No, this is somebody that I would say I am like a spiritual father to. But here's where this gets even better. Right after he says, as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, not only is this familial language, this is also apprenticeship language. 
something you're probably aware of is in the ancient world, oftentimes trades were passed down through the family lines, right? A father might teach and disciple his son into masonry or carpentry or whatever, the family trade, and they would be the apprentice. And here Paul is using that kind of language. He's using apprenticeship language for his relationship with Timothy. See, Timothy has picked up on the family trade, but their family trade is gospel partnership. Their family trade is following after the way of Jesus and seeing new biblical communities planted. He's apprenticed in the way of Jesus and he has proven his worth. He has been a consistent presence in Paul's life. And therefore, Paul's really excited to send Timothy to do the same in the life of the church in Philippi as well. This reminds me of two of my other friends, Sully and Lauren Robichaud. Both of them have always blown me away as people who are so present with whoever's in front of them. If you don't know Sully and Lauren, you probably should. They seek out for individuals from any friend group and they build relationships. They journey with their friends, not just through the good, but through the difficult as well. And it is such to me, it's, it's always been such a powerful witness to the consistent presence of Jesus played out. That's the mindset of Jesus, y'all. And so for, for Timothy, for Sully, for Lauren, it could seem that they are just really loyal friends and they are, but it's more than that. It's supernatural. It's the spirit of God empowering these individuals to take on the mindset of Jesus so that they would be able to live in light of that. This reminds me of Jesus in the way that he approached his disciples, the kind of consistent presence he was with his disciples. I mean, Jesus calls these his 12, right? And the only thing that you could say about them is they were a group of ragamuffins. They were the, the only thing consistent about his 12 was how inconsistent they were throughout the story of the gospels, right? Right when they seem like they got something figured out, boom, they got it completely wrong. They're, it's like artistry, how bad they were as disciples. They would for sure be fired in any line of work, right? If, this, if, if there was a grade sheet, they didn't pass. And especially Peter. I mean, Peter, Jesus says, you're gonna play a pivotal role in the life of the church. And days later, Peter turns around and denies knowing Jesus three times. Yet even in Peter's rebellion and in his fear, after Jesus' resurrection, he redeems and restores Peter. He reconciles relationship with Peter. He goes the extra mile to reestablish relationship and says, I'm not done with you yet. You think you're damaged goods? I mean, yeah, fine, but you're not because I have now put my righteousness on you and I will now be sending my spirit to fill you. In your own, you're pretty weak sauce, Peter. But with me. In my spirit, you're going to change the world. I just see Jesus, his consistent presence, how he gives security to insecure hearts, how he offers an ever-present anchor to protect us from the unpredictable waves of our varied circumstances in life. He offers confidence beyond the moment. I love that. See, Timothy demonstrates what it looks like to be a consistent presence in the lives of Paul and others. And he is going to go to Philippi and demonstrate the same thing to them. And all he was simply demonstrating is that is the mindset and attitude of Jesus. Paul is, or Peter, I'm sorry, Timothy isn't doing anything revolutionary here. He is simply doing what Jesus did. 
And see, this is something that's so true about Timothy. And I would imagine it would be true about any of the individuals that you know in your life that really embody the mindset of Jesus. That if you go, wow, I just see Jesus so clearly. And you're like, they wouldn't say, yeah, I'm really awesome about like that. No, they would point you to Jesus and say, yeah, he is that awesome. I'm just so thankful that he has done a work in me. So watch and learn from those who take on the mindset of Jesus. We'll finish here, verses 23 and 24. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul finishes this travel itinerary with some pretty practical information. In essence, you could boil it down to this. Timothy's gonna come to you, but I'm not, I'm gonna wait to find out what happens with me before he goes. And then I'm I'm pretty confident I'm gonna get to come as well. On the surface, that's all he's saying. But underneath, we see something that's really interesting, peculiar, and I don't want us to leave tonight without mentioning. He says, let's repeat those two things. He says, on one hand, I don't really know how things are gonna work out. So I'm not gonna send Timothy until I've kind of figured out if I'm going to die a martyr's death, or if I'm going to be released from prison or just in prison for longer. I don't know which way it's going to go. So we're going to give it some time. But then in the exact same sentence, he follows up by saying, but I'm also confident that God is going to let me go. Isn't that weird? On the one hand, I don't know what God's going to do here. And on the other hand, I'm confident that I know what he's going to do here. It's kind of a weird statement, right? But see, Paul isn't just speaking things into the universe. He isn't just like visualizing his best life and manifesting it into existence, right? What he is doing is demonstrating trust in God's sovereignty and the fact that he's just a really good dad. He trusts that God is a really good dad. That while he doesn't know how everything's gonna shake out, he has confidence in God. He has confidence that his dad sees everything and that everything is going to work according to his plan. See that while God doesn't inherently cause everything to happen directly, everything that does happen in our lives, in this world, does pass through his hand. Now, for some of us, we're like, yeah, of course, no brainer. For others of us, I wanna just speak into, like, I realize that that's a struggle for some of us. Because you're, you're struggling to reconcile how can God be perfectly good and perfectly great and still there's so much suffering in our world. And I just want to say that's a fair question. And I would say that is a question that all of us are called to, to fight with and reconcile with. There's entire books of the Old Testament dedicated to those questions. I mean, why does it seem that hard things just keep happening? Why, like haven't you prayed over the last couple of weeks? God, why don't you just stop this crazy war in Ukraine? God, why don't you stop the suffering of my friend or family member? You can heal. I know that. Why are they still suffering? God, why, why in, in, in our day and age is human trafficking still a thing? Why don't you just eradicate it? God, why don't you just stop and then you just fill in the blank? You see, Paul has the mindset of Jesus and he actively trusts his heavenly father that he is going to provide and oversee things in the way that is best from his perspective. Now, it's important to know that Paul hasn't arrived there overnight. I would imagine for Paul, Paul is a great thinker. So I'm imagining he wrestled a lot with some of these concepts. 
but he has arrived at the place where now, talk about terrible circumstances, talk about not of quite the position to declare victory. He is in prison in Rome. He is in the belly of the beast and he is waiting to find out if he's gonna die. Yet he not only is managing to hold on to his faith, which I think would be impressive enough, right? But it says right before this, he says, in this, I have not just faith, but I have hope and joy. That is the mindset of Jesus. It does not happen overnight, but it is beautiful. And if you're in that space, know that you're not the first or the last and that the scriptures are good and they point us to life, light, and freedom, even in the midst of the difficulty. See, there's no simple solution. It's a journey. It's as Eugene Peterson wrote, it's a long obedience in the same direction that we become more and more influenced, less and less influenced by the mindset of our world and more and more influenced by the mindset of Jesus. And see, we have the opportunity to learn that, not by, uh, we learn that as we engage with the scriptures, but we also learn that as we witness this exampled out in the lives and journeys of everyone else around us. This is why we gather together. This is why, it, this is why Christianity is not a lone wolf, siloed off individualistic concept or construct. This is why we are called to do life together because we are better together than we are apart. Even when you're struggling, even when you don't know if you like the community you're a part of, this is what we're meant for. We are not meant to do life alone. Travel itinerary. That's what we just read and studied, right? But it's not just the travel itinerary. It might seem mundane, but it's powerful. On the surface, Paul is just sending his apprentice to go and encourage them and bring back news on how they're doing before he goes one day. But below the surface, Paul is sending them a living example of what this letter is all about. The mindset of Jesus so that they can learn and grow. And see, we can so easily look at our spiritual heroes and think, well, that's just because they're super spiritual. I mean, it's Paul and Timothy, kind of big deals in the faith. There's a lot of stained glass windows across Europe about those two, right? We see Timothy and Paul, Kevin and Lindsay, Sully and Lauren, fill in the blank. These individuals would be the first to admit that if you see anything special about them, it's not because they're so special. It's because the spirit of God is living in them and is moving them closer and closer to Jesus. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, that same spirit is living in you. So you're out of excuses. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's not that you're supposed to measure up to Timothy tomorrow or ever. It's not about a comparison. It's about learning from the examples of one another and becoming more like Jesus in the process. So we follow the examples of others as they follow the example of Jesus to live and to work for his good pleasure. You see, even in travel itinerary, we can discover a living example of the mindset of Jesus worth emulating. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come on up. And I'll finish with this. Watch and learn from those who demonstrate a compassionate presence like Jesus. Watch and learn from those who are living out the mindset of Jesus. And not just the ones who have flashy versions of that on bestseller lists, not just those who have really wonderful social media accounts or YouTube channels. Although those individuals hopefully are wonderful individuals who are pointing people to Jesus. But you don't do life with those individuals. You don't know them personally. J. Kim doesn't know who I am, y'all. 
but you guys. <laughs> but you guys do. And when I see you guys living out the mindset of Jesus, as we see this in one another, we are encouraged and we become more like him. That is discipleship. And that's what we are called to do. That's our call. And I believe that this is what we get the opportunity to step into as the church, not just this local expression, but the church around the globe. And I just imagine what if this is what the church was all about? If as the church imperfectly, we just looked more to Jesus and look to demonstrate Jesus more and more on a regular basis to one another. I think that would be exciting. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the example that we have in Jesus. That before we have the example of a Timothy or a Paul or a whoever, fill in the blank, we have Jesus the only purely perfect example in human history. Nobody has ever humaned as well as Jesus, although we have tried to be a God better than you. But yet you have been faithful to us. You have been faithful when we are faithless and you have pursued us and you have given us the example of Jesus and you have given us the Holy Spirit so that we can be living examples to one another of the way of Jesus, of his mindset. So Lord, I pray for my friends this evening that you would be transforming us, that we wouldn't lose hope, that we wouldn't give up, but that we would look to one another to see Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly. Yes, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you that we are gathered here this evening and that we got to open up your word and discover more of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.